Welcome to At The Whiteboard. I'm Nicole North and I'm your host. This season on At The Whiteboard, we're focusing on everything leadership, learning, and development. We have a ton of great guests ready to share their knowledge. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Hello, hello, and welcome to At The Whiteboard. I'm your host, Nicole North, and I am joined today by Jared Almond, someone that I met on Clubhouse I have huge mad respect for, and he's also a ton of fun and full of positivity. So with that, welcome, Jared. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks for having me. Super stoked to be here. How are you today? You know, I am loving life. Anytime I get to sit down and chat with you, um, it's always it's always a good experience. So thanks again for having me. Oh, it's so my pleasure. And we just spent an hour together on Clubhouse talking about everything onboarding, and it was awesome. So uh, make sure, I'm, I never say this at the beginning of a podcast, I always save this for the end, but go find Jared wherever he is because he is full of information, full of awesomeness, full of positivity, and we have great, great conversations. Uh, he has great conversations, and we have great conversations together. So that's my Jared. But before that, tell us about you and what you do. Absolutely. So I am a, a proud dad. I have um, two little girls. Uh, so hashtag girl dad. That's super important to me. Um, I am uh not a recovering peanut m&m addict but full on i keep them i keep a bowl at my desk um just to help it kind of helps me get through my day um <laughs> and so yeah um in terms of what i do you know i work for an e-learning company and i help organizations align their legal compliance training as well as their environmental safety and health training <clears throat> And I, I, I just have a deep passion for organizational culture and, and trying to help organizations just, just get a little bit better or maybe look at things a little bit differently that could impact just one employee positively. That's awesome. And I love your passion for culture and it shows and you have a ton of great information on how to uh, develop great cultures and, and things. And I love today, before I go into my question, I got, I want you to tell me a little bit about, you call it a playbook. Um, and I want to hear why you call it like a playbook and not an, an onboarding manual or an employee manual. Yeah. So I, um, I use it as a sports analogy. So um, most winning sports organizations regardless of what sport you talk about, they update their playbooks to be relevant in that particular decade, right? And so football, as an example, American football, even like football, soccer in the Premier League, they change their formations. They change how they're going to attack the game as the game evolves. So organizations need to take that approach too and have a very dynamic playbook in that it needs to evolve with what's going on in today's society. So taking a look at those core values within the organization and um, seeing, you know, is there alignment in, in today's world? Do we need to tweak it? It can't just be a static, here's your playbook, or excuse me, here's your, your handbook, welcome to the organization. It needs to be very relevant to make an impact 
So I think um, using, you know, words really matter and having uh, a word to describe, welcome to the organization, here's your playbook, allowing the employees to actually be a part of that uh, playbook, I think is really, really important. Oh, that's awesome. And I love the idea of a culture doesn't just have to, it's not the same way we use culture with respect to, um, you know, from the anthropological sense in that, you know, this culture develop, develops over centuries and centuries and centuries. It, a culture really should be agile and nimble and be responding directly to the outside environment and the inside needs and the style of work and the people that are in it. So I love the idea that you're not just giving people a manual that was the same as the manual last year and two years ago, um, that, that culture is and, and the way people work is, is nimble and agile and, and needs to be that way if people want to be successful, just like a sports team. Right. Exactly. Jared, what is your superpower? Oh, it depends on who you ask. <laughs> um, I think it, um, my superpower is the ability to just listen with an empathetic ear. Um, because I think listening is a really undervalued skill. And so I try to double down on that and just really listen to people to get different perspectives and learn from them love that. I think that is an amazing superpower to have. And it's certainly, it's certainly a skill that I practice every single day um, and isn't always easy for me, especially naturally, right? I can do it for work because as a facilitator, I have to listen really well. We're on Clubhouse a lot. I think Clubhouse is the most amazing place to practice your active listening because there's, there isn't the you don't really have the opportunity to interrupt with your idea that's relevant at that moment. You have to keep listening and kind of uh, be agile with your response. And that requires a great deal of skill. So I think that is a spectacular superpower to have and is probably what makes you such an awesome person to be around, right? What my, <laughs> my friend Dale Carnegie says to be, to be interesting is to be interested. Yes, I love that. I love that. I love that book. Me too. So let's talk a little bit about organizational culture. What, what does that mean to you? What, what does it look like, sound like, feel like? Yeah, so I think organizational culture is a strategy that's the DNA of an organization. But more importantly, it's how that DNA is lived really defines what the organizational culture looks like internal as well as external. I love that. It's like DNA is like the code, but it's also how you behave every day. It's the behaviors of every single employee in an organization. Right. And that yeah, code exactly. is kind of, kind of like a, like a computer program is kind of driving their activities in a more natural, yeah. organic, lovely way. Yeah. And, you know, what happens oftentimes is that organizations, their, their actions don't necessarily align, align to those values. So it, it's interesting to, to meet and talk to organizations where they, there's, there's a misalignment. Spectacular. And so what does, what does organizational culture look like? If you were watching a team 
um, with binoculars and you couldn't hear anything and you could just see them, what, what would you see? I think really strong organizational culture is, is the, the bedrock of a strong organizational culture is rooted in effective communication. And I think effective communication isn't just about what you say, right? It's what you hear, what you see. All of those, all of those senses play a part in having in a, a very effective organizational culture. And so what that would look like is skip level meeting. So a VP, as an example, would be leading a one-on-one -on -one with an employee that's a frontline employee to understand what's going on in that job function, showing that employee that they value by their actions, listening to what they say to see that there's alignment to the strategic goals of the organization from a values perspective. So I think that's what, that's what I would look through. If I look through some binoculars and I saw that interaction, I would say, that's an organization that I want to be a part of their culture. Yeah, you're right. It is so deeply rooted in the ability to have tough conversations, to have conversations about accountability, to have conversations about integrity, to have difficult conversations, to have constructive feedback conversations. You know, you're absolutely in my eyes. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly that the at the that the root of it all is this ability to say tough things and say great things and lift people up. Yeah, the the ability to kind of challenge people with a positive outcome in mind, I think is really important. Oftentimes leaders don't do that. They just say, This is wrong, and they never provide you the vision of alignment to, to make it right. Right. So I think it's really, really important to have those types of conversations. Agreed. Agreed. And it, it makes me think of that link to, to the skill of conversation that is coaching, right? Instead of saying, you know, Jared, uh, the document you submitted yesterday was wrong. I say, Jared, tell me about, tell me about the document that you did yesterday. What did you love about it? right? What went super well for you? What are you most proud of in that document? If you could get another week to do it, what might you do differently? Um, if you had another year to do it, what might you and And start to kind of pull this out so that people own their work. They become proud of their work. They become, you know, they have a, it's not about someone critiquing it and redirecting it. It's about them owning it and coming up with their own solutions. Yeah, I absolutely love that. It's that collaboration component where oftentimes both the employee and the leader need to be aware of their blind spots and be able to coach down and coach up. So I love that. I love that, Nicole. Yeah, I often call that the um, the sandwich effect. I said, organ I've often, I said many, many years ago, it was a blog I wrote, and I said, organize the only organizations that are capable of um, nimble, agile, and large-scale transformations are ones that can coach up, down, and across simultaneously. If any one of those is missing, it's not that organizations can't change or adapt or become agile. It's just not as seamless. But when those three are in place as the, uh, the foundation, as the baseline, then change just becomes dramatically easier. Absolutely.
right? When I can say to my peer, hey, um, you know, can we talk about the document? Tell me about what worked well for you and, and what you loved about it, you know, and have that same kind of coaching conversation and have that same conversation with your boss and the same conversation with someone that works for you. Um, then you can really start affecting change and, and people love their work. And I think for me, I'm so passionate about people just going to work and being happy. Um, I'm so um, disheartened to see how many people go to work and are unhappy. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think it's so important for the organizations to create that, you know, we talked about it on a couple different clubhouse conversations is creating that psychological safe, psychologically safe environment in the workplace is so important because that allows not only for the culture to shine through the actions of the leader of providing that space, but it also gives the employee the ability to speak, to speak freely that could have some very dramatic positive effects on the outcome of the business goals and, and objectives, right? And as well as their safety and feeling like they have a voice and they have a belonging within the organization. So I think it's really, really critical. Agreed, agreed. What do you think, Jared, is missing right now? So sometimes I talk about these things and they're like, Nicole, you make it sound so easy, but it's not that simple. Mm -hmm. You know, what's missing from organizations right now to move them from where they are to this kind of um, unicorn land that we're talking about? Yeah, I, I love that. And it is a unicorn land. Um, I, I think compassion is missing. It's a missing element in a, in, in a lot of leaders. And I think that um, once in, once a leader can can understand that component, it unlocks so many different elements within themselves as a leader, but also within the team and the organization. So I think the, the compassion piece where um, le leaders need to listen with that empathetic ear that I mentioned, um, and then once they hear from their employees what matters, taking it into action and showing their employees that what they shared with them made a difference on how they lead and they found a common ground to make sure that it aligns to business objectives. Um, so I think that's a, that's a piece that's missing right now with a, with a lot of organizations. I'm so with you. I'm so with you. I'm, I'm all about, uh, a that's kind of one of my themes, right? Is building um, cultures that are one compassion and empathy. And I, I think I mean, I, I'm, I'd love to hear your opinion on this, but sometimes I think that people feel like they can't be graceful, compassionate, and empathetic because if they are too graceful, compassionate, and empathetic, people will take advantage of that and then they are in a position where they have to have um, hard conversations about accountability and performance and that at the root of that, they don't know slash don't like to have those conversations. And so it's just easier to be hardlined from the beginning. Yeah, I, I think it's it's all about the framework of of how you lay out the expectations of how things are gonna 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 work. If if you take an approach that you want to be super compassionate and you're gonna listen to your employees and, and you show them that their voice matters, um when they make suggestions, 
but you never have that same voice when you're doing hardline information. For example, if you're leading a sales team and you're reviewing their numbers and you, and there's no accountability, then that's when, that's when people get taken advantage of and, and you get labeled, you know, oh, you're a soft leader or you're not living up to these expectations. I think it's all in how you frame it. Um, and, and that is where, what I see a lot of times that leaders, there's a disconnect there where they don't set the proper expectations. They just, uh, kind of lay it out and, and see what happens. And in those situations, it's never going to be beneficial to the leader, to the organization, or, and more importantly to the employee. Yes. Yes. That is, I was looking for my, my mic to, to, to clap. <laughs> here. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, you know, I'm pretty uh, interested. I'm fascinated by the hybrid workplace. I'm fascinated by what we're seeing around us. I've certainly had uh, friends and, and, and folks who are being called back to the mm -hmm. office, you know, and, and, and working through what is going to be a hybrid workplace. And mm -hmm. in your opinion, how should organizations be preparing for this uh, new normal? Yeah, so I, I think I'm, I'm with you. Like the hybrid workplace is, it's not going anywhere. And it, it is really fascinating and unique because nobody knows what good hybrid workplace looks like and what bad workplace looks like. Sure, people have an idea. Um, so I think starting with your organization's definition of what hybrid looks like, who qualifies for it, why the importance of the, the company's objectives of allowing certain organ, certain business units to work hybrid. I think all of that needs to be foundational as organizations look at rolling out a hybrid model. And then once that's established, <clears throat> excuse me, once that's established, I really think ha of the ownership of the hybrid component should be with a leader that rolls to the C-suite, not the CHRO, because they get everything dumped on their plate from learning and development to talent acquisition, to total rewards, to diversity, equity, inclusion. It needs to be a chief hybrid officer. And that Ooh. person, right? And that person needs to own the initiative and the organization needs to give them true autonomy. Yeah, there's gonna be times where you're gonna fail because who can you point to that, that says they got hybrid right? There's not many, right? Maybe a handful of organizations. If you do some intense research, you could probably find maybe two or three. Um, but I think having a senior leader that reports directly to, to the chief executive officer that says, hey, man, or, or hey, ma'am, check this out. This is, this is what we need to do for our hybrid work environment. Right. So giving so establishing what it means, having senior ownership over the program itself. And then once those are established, that that leader needs to find out what matters to the employees that fall into those definitions. Like, OK, we determined that this business unit is going to be hybrid, which means they're going to be in the office Tuesdays and Thursdays. You have to share with them why they're going to be in the office Tuesdays and Thursdays? Is it because there's a collaboration project and a deadline in those days make the most sense for them to be in the office together? Is it because the, the C-suite is going to be there one of those days to be debriefed on the progress 
uh, of a specific project. You have to share why you're having those employees come back to the office. Um, and I think that senior leader should be the one to have those conversations because right now what's happening is organizations are saying, yeah, we're just going to, we're going to roll out a, a hybrid program. Uh, and we're going to say, you got to be in the office Mondays and Wednesdays, and we're going to rotate that. So one week you'll be in Monday, Wednesdays, and next week you'll be in, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays, but they never explain to the employee the why behind it. And so what happens that's another contributing factor. There's so many things that roll into the great resignation that we've talked about on, on um, numerous clubhouse rooms. That's a component of it. If you don't have clear communication in the new normal specific to what the hybrid workplace looks like and how it impacts your employees, you're going to have this revolving door and then in turn, it's going to affect your productivity. And then eventually it's going to affect your bottom line. And before you know it, your organization is going to be closing the doors. Oh, Jared, that, that was a bunch of gems that you dropped. I don't even know where to go first, but I do love this idea that we need to not just create, from my perspective and in my opinion, a lot of organizations are just jumping too quickly to make a formal plan. Right. And one of the things that you said is so fascinating is we don't actually know what the best hybrid workplace is because maybe some organizations have had some of this, but not in the same way that we have now. It, it's just different, yeah, right? Exactly. Hybrid are different. The parameters are different. The why is different. And so we truly don't know yet. And so I recognize that this is kind of a trial and error period. I just feel like a lot of organizations are just jumping. Everyone's coming back. We're going in shifts, da, 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 da. And I yeah. mean, at some point I want to say like, well, you know, we can't even use boardrooms. So what are we going back for? Right. right. What, and I feel like a lot of those questions aren't being asked, but I love what you said about connecting this hybrid plan to the organization's culture and values and mission and really linking that to a why. I think that's that's critical. And I love the idea of a chief hybrid officer. Yeah. And, you know, one other thing too, Nicole, that organizations should really look at is um, I think <laughs> to be a music nerd here for a second, I think Jay-Z once said, <laughs> men lie, women lie, numbers don't. So <laughs> if you're in this role, leverage data to make these informed decisions, right? So if you're, if you're saying, and, and there may not be data there to determine, we need you in Tuesdays and Thursdays. And that's okay. Share that with the team. Hey, hey guys, we're going to come in the office Tuesdays and Thursdays because we're, we know that we're going to collaborate on this particular project with the deadline that's X. We're going we're gonna to be pay, taking some data points during these meetings to see if it makes sense for us to move forward with this hybrid model go forward. Are you guys okay with that? What are your thoughts on this approach? And have them provide that senior leader direct impact impact on on what that model looks like and in the benefits and the shortcomings because of hybrid being so new there's no way you can have enough data right and and if you get that data directly from the people it affects man that's really impactful um points to 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 leverage oh you are so speaking to my soul jared because data i think is 
data is, you know, it's, it's, it comes right in line with the why, right? And, and I think those are the reasons why people change behaviors. Those are the reasons why people um, get on board with change and transformation. Those are the reasons that people are excited and passionate because they connect to it. And data, data doesn't lie, just like Jay-Z said. Um, so I, I want to... I want to think about, I, I, the, the, I think the last part that really struck me about what you said is let's not announce that this is the new permanent hybrid plan. I think what I, what I heard you say, and correct me if I'm wrong, is use this kind of beta testing period to gather data and make informed decisions to generate a more formalized plan. And I think that is genius. And I, I can't say that I've seen anyone doing that. I, I think that, that that playbook component that I mentioned for the, the, the earlier today in the clubhouse about the onboarding, that needs to be kind of an SOP for all things culture because it has to be dynamic. And one of the pieces that could the playbook could be really beneficial in is the hybrid workplace policy what does that look like how does it evolve it needs to be super dynamic it can't just be here it is this is how we're going to do it unless you have strong data to support why you're doing that right because then your employees aren't going to buy into it they're going to say this doesn't fit my values anymore i'm out of here and then, then that's the revolving door i love it so i think you're right it links to onboarding it links to having someone that's managing that hybrid workforce i think it it links to, you know, creating like a testing ground for hybrid and recognizing that we don't know what perfect looks like. So let's use data to design something that works for us, our organizations, our customers, and our experience and values and mission and vision and all that stuff boiled into one. And I think that is a really brilliant thought that the hybrid workforce is not, there isn't a you know, a plan that we can just roll out to every organization. Right. It to be a unique solution for each organization. And those organizations that are rushing and trying to put out something really formal and really strict and jumping right to this is how we do it, I think are the ones that are going to have that great resignation. And they're going to seek organizations mm -hmm. that are making these decisions thoughtfully and using data. Absolutely. Jared, tell us what is your favorite business book? And it can, I want to hear actually your favorite business book right now. And then I also want to know your favorites of all time. Yeah. So, you know, being a super, being just completely fascinated and loving organizational culture, my favorite book right now is Culture for the Left Brain Leader by Andrew W.J. W. Kim. It's, it's fantastic book. And just kind of speaking to um, what I've mentioned numerous times of it being a playbook, this, this book really is a playbook of if you want to really learn how to impact your culture, um, both from a leadership perspective and from uh, an employee perspective, go get this book. There are so many actionable items that you can learn from and take away to impact your culture in, in a positive way. I can't endorse it enough. It's amazing. 
Well, that's spectacular. And so I'm definitely going to have to get my pause on that. Maybe we can do a little book club recap either on Clubhouse or here on the podcast again sometime soon. Um, and, and what about of all time? Favorite book that you would recommend to everyone? Yeah. So, of course, the favorite book of all time. Um, that's tough because that means, again, it just puts me down to one, Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> you can name you. I think they're all good. I, I think it gives okay. us a great perspective on you and, and who doesn't love a good business book recommendation. Right. So I would say um, The Referral of a Lifetime is a good one by Tim Templeton. It's a, it's a really good call. It's a really good book about just building relationships. And then um, another book that, that, I, that I've read that ha- has made a huge impact on me is uh, by Jeffy Jeffrey Gitmore, he's kind of the sales guy, and the book title is called Get Shit Done. And he lays out in this book what you need to do to be effective. And a lot of it is sales methodology, but almost everything in this book can translate into leadership, impacting culture, driving organizational change. Um, so those would be the two that I'd recommend. And then just another one that is that super nerdy that I would recommend is the talent war. Um, and that one is written by Mark Serini and George Randall. This is an amazing book. Both of these guys are, um, previous military. One was a Navy SEAL. So they talk about evaluating talent and how it transitions into evaluating the proper talent for your organization. It's, it's awesome. Oh, those are great recommendations. And, you know, mostly I just asked that question so that I can add to my current reading. (laughs) Nothing. What about you? What, what, what's your favorite book of all time? Ooh. Okay. So my favorite book of all time is the coaching habit by Michael Bungay Stanier. And I think it is the most, it is simple, it is a playbook, it is a handbook, it is a workbook, and it really uses behavioral tools to change your habits. And I think it is just, I think it's just the bee's knees um, to be about 150,000 years old. And my, <laughs> my book right now is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, which is uh, according to the classic at right now. 880 years in print and I cannot tell you it this is literally a compilation of all the key leadership skills that people need to um, you know build relationships and uh, influence people and and bring people around to their uh, you know, desires and goals and, and mission and vision. So I think it is, the one book that every leader should read that and yeah, and yeah that that's it it's, I, I love that book too that's like a staple in in my library and it's so cool to see that those principles have really transcended generational generational leadership right like it's so cool to see that that book was written you know 80 years ago like you'd mentioned and a lot of those principles ring true today it's really cool I know. And the stories are so funny. I mean, like, I think the one that I read just yesterday was, you know, he always has examples of either a client that had come to his training session. So Dale Carnegie actually ran training sessions on this component. Um, And uh, one of them was, you know, 
the, the secretary had had too many spelling errors. And, and instead of just saying you were wrong and there are lots of spelling errors, he said, you know, here's what I use for spelling errors. I have this little book where I record the words that I have trouble spelling. And I just thought, you know what? The example is so dated still holds true exactly. You could translate that to, you know, an Excel spreadsheet or something in programming like, hey, right. I also struggle with this particular piece of code and here's what I do to circumvent that problem, right? Like it's just, um, I, I think it's so relatable and it's just, I, I'm blown away by every tip. I'm like, yes, of course. And I have to tell you from an L&D perspective, you'll appreciate this, Jared. So. I teach a course um, for a university um, here in Canada, for UT, and every week I've gone in and said, hey, you know, here are the ground rules for today's class. You're welcome to turn your camera on when you're speaking, but if, you know, if you want to, keep it off. And, you know, as a facilitator, it's hard to speak to all those black boxes, and you know that people have their camera off despite their best intentions it's just easy to check email, go on LinkedIn, do some other work, you know, mm -hmm. do whatever. You're distracted. Mm -hmm. so I typically had, you know, somewhere between four and five people with their cameras on for the duration of the class and the remainder would have them out unless they were speaking. So after reading, you know, the good, I'm almost finished it now. I kind of changed my. And so in the last class I did, I said, I would love you guys to turn on your cameras. And let me give you two reasons why. The first, when I see lots of faces and can interact with you and see your faces, it's gonna make me a way better instructor and way more exciting for you. So I'd love you to turn on your cameras for me, but it impacts you as well. And number two, when you have your camera on, you will pay more attention and you will get more out of this two hour investment than if you try and multitask. Can you guess how many people had their cameras on? I hope they all turned them on. It was like 20 out of 25. I was blown away by that awesome. shift. I still gave people grace. I still gave people compassion. I said, listen, if you've got kids in your house and you're working from home, I get it. If you're in a spot where you're not comfortable, I get it. Keep your camera off. But here are two great reasons to turn it on. And I could not believe, you know, and my data point is obviously not um, statistics, but I intend to keep trying and I will maybe do a LinkedIn post to show uh, how that has changed just by my reframing that question. Yeah, I, I love that. You should definitely, more people need to hear that, Nicole. That is amazing. I thought it was, I thought it was really, I didn't, I didn't expect it to work that well. I thought I might have seven or eight people with cameras on, which still would kind of achieve what, you know, truthfully my intent was personal. I just like looking at people while I'm teaching rather than teaching to boxes. So I love it. And my last question, or I have two more questions for you before we end. And the first is, what's coming up on the horizon? What are you working on that's bringing you joy? Yeah, so I, I love this question. So um, as you know, Nicole, I, I, I value you as a friend. And I look 
toward to you for certain input on things. And one of the things that that I wanted to know about was the the podcasting component. I think I'm really fascinated with that. And and so what what I have coming up is I do um, on Clubhouse. I do a room every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern called the New Normal, the work environment. And and I do that work with some fantastic co-moderators. And I recently realized that, you know, the the podcast fascination and what is being talked about on Clubhouse, there's a huge, there's a good opportunity there to kind of take what we're talking about on Clubhouse and put it, put it in a podcast kind of forever um, experience. And so I reached out to one of my podcasting or excuse me, one of my um, co-mods and I said, hey man, like this is my vision. What do you think? Does it sound like something you want to, you want to collaborate on? And he said, yes, let's do it. So um, David Spinner and I are going to be doing a podcast um, called Positive Directions. And we're super stoked about that. We're meeting next Monday to record um, kind of a teaser pilot that we're going to push out at the end of this month. I'm really, really excited about that. That is so awesome. I cannot wait to hear it. I cannot wait to enjoy that on my walks and uh, get a little more uh, Jared in my life because everyone needs a little more of your positivity. I have to say you truly inspired me uh, in every phone call we have, you know, I'll say, hey, Jared, how are you doing? And just like as you started this podcast, you say, I'm doing great. I'm loving life. And that has truly been inspirational for me because I think my habit, my tendency is to say, oh, I'm really tired or, oh, I'm really overwhelmed because of, you know, my kids or I've got a lot on my plate. And you really inspired me to shift my perspective and start with what I'm really thrilled about. And so every time someone asks me how I am, I shift my focus and what would Jared do? WWJD. <laughs> oh, I love it. Thank, thank you so much, Nicole. Yeah, I think that the positivity, the world just needs more of it, right? And so um, that's genuinely how I feel. I've had people tell me like, come on, dude, like you don't really love life. Look what's going on in the world. And, and there might be some truth to that. But when I look at my world, you know, hanging out with my girls and hanging out with my wife and talking to cool people like you, man, I'm loving life. I absolutely love it. That should be the tagline for the podcast. <laughs> it's a good idea. I'll talk to David about that. <laughs> and I was talking, uh, I was actually chatting with Danielle um, the other day on LinkedIn and she said, hey, how was your vacation? And my habit up to that point had been, oh my gosh, it was terrible. All the kids got sick. We were all sick. We all had these awful colds. And, you know, we haven't had a cold in almost two years at this point. Um, but, you know, and we never got any sleep. And I, I, did, I did the WWJD, what would Jared do? <laughs> I said, you know what? I got to spend an hour and a half walking with my best friend and our two little one-year-old baby boys. And we walked for an hour and a half every single day for a whole week and i cannot be more grateful and you know what it felt way better to say that than to complain about how everyone was sick and none of us got any sleep that's awesome that's that's great yeah it's a mindset right it just the mindset that helps 
really reframe everything when we focus on the good. Um, yeah, so that's cool to hear, Nicole. I love it. Now, Jared, this has been a fantastic hour. I, I think, uh, you know, I wouldn't have you on the podcast if I didn't think everyone that I know should also know you. So where can people find you and get a little uh, boost of that Jared positive energy? Yeah. So thanks for that, Nicole. Um, people can certainly check me out on LinkedIn. Um, I'm fairly active on there. Uh, also, I, I, um, I run a couple rooms on Clubhouse. You want to check me out on there? What's your username on Clubhouse, Jared? Um, the, my username on Clubhouse is just Jared. I think it. You know, that's a great question, Nicole. Let me look at that. I think it's just at Jared Almond I on think Clubhouse. So. Um, Jared, it's J A R E D, and his last name is Almond. A L L M O N D. Right, and then one one last thing I would say is if people are going to follow or, or connect with me on LinkedIn, I have. Um, I have a personalized hashtag where you can go and check out all my content. If, if any of this conversation moved you today and you want to take a look at anything related to culture that I've put out there, you can follow the hashtag ask the ginger. And that's where I've kind of curated all the content that I put on LinkedIn. Perfect. That's a great way for people to find you. And I'm connected to Jared as well. So uh, find him through my connection on clubhouse or LinkedIn as well. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure Jared, I love your energy and love chatting with you. It's been great. Nicole, thank you so much for this opportunity. It was super amazing to chat with you on so many cool topics. And just FYI, um, David and I both have you on our short list. So be on the lookout for us to hit you up. <laughs> I am so honored that you would consider me on your short list. So that brings me great joy. Thank you so much. And we'll talk soon. Thanks for joining us at At The Whiteboard. We've had an amazing time with you here today. If you wanna keep up to date with everything that At The Whiteboard podcast is doing, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at Whiteboard Consult or on our website at www.whiteboardconsulting.ca. Talk soon.